everybody, and welcome back to, what is this, the third episode of the second season, the second book, I don't know what we're calling it, uh, the, the second wave of guests. We took a bit of a hiatus, and now we're back with some fresh, hot, new guests to bring on to the podcast. Uh, if you aren't familiar, uh, my name is Peter Foltz, and I'm, I'm hosting this here podcast, and this is a podcast where we talk to our friends in animation uh, from all different walks. To get their perspectives on uh, on what's going on in the world right now and what's going on in the industry and how they're feeling about uh, making their own art. Uh, and with that said, we have a brand spanking new guest today, Mike Sobieski. Mike, thank you so much for being with us today. Yeah, it's good to be here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's definitely a bit of a radio intro. I felt like we needed to start being more... Uh, professional because i realized it very quickly i didn't ever say my own name or what the podcast was or mm -hmm. what it was about so so now we're really trying to amp things up professionalism wise um, i get it i get it <laughs> uh, i forgot to do your intro so let's go ahead and do that uh mike here is a storyboard revisionist on amphibia furry question mark i added the question <laughs> question mark for that and all around good guy uh will wrote that intro uh will writes most of the intros here he's the man behind the scenes our producer our kind soul will our, our kind soul will um and who makes all this stuff happen so yeah thanks again so much for being with us uh i kind of wanted to start off by uh addressing why i put the question mark on the end of furry we're not sure i wasn't sure to be d definitive though i thought it was a, a good guess because uh if you were to go on your instagram you see a lot of really nicely drawn comics uh featuring almost exclusively animalistic characters mm -hmm. so uh I, I i we had a kind of an interesting talk before the the uh we started recording about that um, and you had some interesting thoughts about what it means to, to be a furry in this day and age. Can you expand? Yeah, it's pretty interesting, uh, this kind of topic, because I think what a lot of people can kind of realize from it is that there's actually a pretty big intersection between uh, being queer and, like, furry stuff in general. Um, I've noticed that, like, if you look at, like, the statistics of, like, the people who identify with, like, anthropomorphic characters and people who draw kind of um, anthro characters in general, they tend to be mostly queer people. I don't know the exact statistic, but it's like definitely, I think more than half. And I think the reason why people gravitate towards that queer individuals, especially, is I think it's like a really safe outlet to kind of enter in on like queerness in general, because it's kind of like an identity separate from yourself, hmm. but it's a safe one that you're able to kind of explore like the themes of queerness and like explore these kinds of like different realities of someone that is yourself but not yourself specifically um it like provides like a safe space for that which i think is pretty cool hmm. um yeah it's like it, it is pretty interesting because um i think the base of it is just that like uh, like in reality for whatever reason, they're not comfortable. I mean, I know for me, I wasn't comfortable with it for a while. Um, but when it's like, you're able to express it through kind of like something that feels more natural, like I guess like in the animal world or like something that kind of is like, even almost like stuffed animally, you know what I mean? So it's, it's like a very safe mm -hmm. thing. You can kind of enter in on more of like a, like a comforting way, which is pretty cool. I think for is like, I guess I could say, like, I identify with, like, I'm definitely okay, like, when people are like, oh, you make furry art, like, for sure, like, yeah, that's totally fine. Like, I do do human stuff as well, but I think, like, there's a level of comfort and, like, freedom, like, when I'm, like, able to do these kinds of things, um, and I feel like normally I'm able to do them if I draw, like, furry characters, and I kind of like that. I also, like, there's a level of, uh, like, anonymity towards it as well, in terms of, like, you're not directly representing any one type of person um i think it's like a lot easier to identify with them because people are like oh just like you know like a wolf and a bunny it's a lot easier to identify than like very specific kind of traits of people that maybe not maybe don't like see themselves in the work you know what i mean but yeah i don't know it's just interesting and again like we can talk about this later but like i just think in 2020 being a furry is pretty it's a pretty broad definition i think like in pop culture especially the lines have been blurred pretty significantly about like you know the community specifically and then just like the average person who just consumes content with like anthro animals in it and stuff huh 
That's really interesting. I I also have to imagine that like just because like having being in the world of animation, I feel like I I'm exposed to a lot more people who identify as such mm -hmm. or are at least adjacent to the community um, more so than when I was being in like the film part of my life or or in some other sort of uh, interests of mine. Uh, is there a, sort of a reason for that, or do you think that it's just more common for, for people in animation to just sort of be exposed to that kind of thing? Yeah, well, I think with animation, um, the fact of the matter is, is just that like, you're kind of more uh, shy, nervous, um, you're generally less of the super like outgoing, super um, like constantly social, like want to be outside. I feel like a lot of animators in general tend to be, they like like a cozy workspace. They like stuff that they know, comfort in general, I think is a big part of it too. And so I think furry appeals to a lot of that because it's kind of like, it is kind of like a safe space. Um, mm -hmm. I think like in film, it's a little bit different because I think the attitudes that drive people who are making films are a little bit different. I think animation's like definitely, it's a person with a computer sitting in the room at three in the morning working on art. You know what I mean? It's not like the person who's like going out, like meeting like a hundred people to film like this big project and stuff. Um, I mean, obviously there's variations, like you have outgoing animators and stuff, but I think like in general, I think it's like bigger in animation. And also like, let's be honest, like it's so much easier and so much better to express it with art than live action, weird mm -hmm. CG model things. You know what I mean? It's so much cuter to just have like, like a Robin Hood or like a Winnie the Pooh than it is to have, I don't know, not to diss the new Lion King, but like the CG <laughs> Lion King or whatever. I remember going to see the CG Lion King at a drive-in movie theater last year and I went with my girlfriend and it got to the part where Simba is is just chilling in the woods eating grubs or whatever mm -hmm. um, and she goes oh yeah I forgot about hot Simba <laughs> and I I had to take a moment for that because it definitely took me aback because I knew what she was talking about because I knew yeah. in the animation they make Simba really hot Mm -hmm. uh but <laughs> but in the cg one he's just a lot he is literally just a lion uh, -huh. uh there, there's not much that is anthropomorphized about him really very minimal facial expressions and he just prowls around like a regular lion yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. i thought it was very <laughs> i thought it was really interesting it was a it was like one of those kind of light bulb moments where you kind of see the difference that uh animation and film has yeah um particularly live action yeah, um, no, it's it's kind of, it's it's kind of funny. No, it's just like animation in general has this weird knack for like, feel like oh, it's like a robot character, and then someone's like, you know what, they're pretty hot, and it's just like a robot, and just like all right, like <laughs> that's fine. <laughs> it's it's funny. It's yeah, animation like uh, it's an interesting medium to say the least. Yeah, um, before we delve in too much into uh, more furry stuff, because I'm sure we'll come back to it at some point. Oh, for sure. Um, sure. I, I want to uh, sort of talk about uh, a little bit of background about you because for the people at home, uh, they might not know. I say people at home like there's more than 15 people listening to this. But, uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, there, there's some people who are probably listening who, who don't know who you are. And, and for that matter, uh, we, you and I didn't really get a, a whole lot of time to interact at school um, mm -hmm. because I, as I was entering, you were leaving. So I would yeah. love to hear a little bit about uh, about your background and how you got to where you are now, if you wouldn't mind. Yeah, for sure. So around like junior year of high school, I was torn between animation and illustration, um, but I ended up going with animation. That's kind of how I started like looking into places. Like I was just looking at like good artists, good industry artists, and, you know, like they're the ones who like went to like CalArts, you know, cause you just kept on seeing that name pop up everywhere. Um, so I worked towards that, got in, and then from entering CalArts, um, I kind of, uh, I didn't think I had the healthiest experience at the school, to be honest. And I think that's probably part of the reason why we didn't talk as much is like, I was definitely more introspective, but like not in like a necessarily healthy way. You know what I mean? Because it's like, when mm -hmm. you go to a school like that, um, you're surrounded by a lot of talent and stuff like that. But, uh. It was like constantly like I was comparing myself and all that kind of stuff. And so it, it wasn't like a super healthy thing, but I did manage to, you know, make four films, which is kind of the requirements of film every year. I just didn't really do it on time, <laughs> but I managed to do it. Um, 
but uh, Portfolio Day, fourth year, I was going off of like no internships, uh, no callbacks up until that point. But for some reason, my portfolio was able to get like like one or like I think it was like, like one or two callbacks or something like that. Um, but one of them was for Amphibia at Disney, and so I met with Matt. Um, I think it was Matt and one of the um, art directors. I'm not mistaken, you know, we talked and like, I, I could tell, like, we, we got along pretty well, I think. <laughs> and so after that, I got a test uh, for the show for like a board test. I did it, got like, quote, like, I guess, rejected. And so I was like, all right, that's fine, whatever. Did a bunch of other tests. And then I was just like sitting in my room, like laying on the floor, and then like got an email and they're like, oh, actually, JK, like, do you want to be hired here? And I was like, oh, yeah, for sure. <laughs> like, like, right outside, I was like, yeah, I have a job. Because, like, you know, that's the big thing, like, after you graduate, right, where it's like you're in this crazy kind of limbo period where you don't know, like, what's going to happen to you and that kind of thing. But uh, point is, I was able to get work, um, started work on Amphibia, I think, that like, that same month. Um, and was working, you know, up until now. I was on a hiatus, I think, in March, but I just got off of it. Mm. So I'm back on for the new season. And yeah, it's, it's up until now, it's, I feel like, pretty much like everything relevant. Yeah, uh, I want to take us back a little bit to something you said at the beginning. We'll kind of mm. go chronologically through the, some of the things that you said, because you said a lot of really cool things I want to kind of expound upon. But uh, you said uh, initially that maybe that your experience at school wasn't the most positive. Yeah. It seems like every up until this point, we've brought on people that have had generally an overwhelmingly positive or at least whelmingly <laughs> positive yeah. uh, response to, to school. And uh, I, I think it's kind of refreshing to hear somebody who uh, maybe didn't have a great experience or maybe learned something from that. So yeah. what do you yeah. exactly mean when you say that you didn't have the most positive experience? Well, let me preface this by saying the people were always amazing. It had nothing to do mm. with the student body. And I think the one thing that you can honestly repeat throughout um, everyone you're going to have on the show from before to after is that you meet really amazing people. Um, mm. And like, again, like it wasn't bad. Um, it wasn't bad in terms of like malicious things. It was bad because everyone was just so fucking talented. You know what I mean? Everyone was so driven, so talented, um, had these really awesome like goals, like, and especially I think going to CalArts at, you know, this time period, especially this time period in like the US and all that kind of stuff, it's like we're all trying to change the industry for the better. You know what I mean? We want to diversify, we want to tell different kinds of stories, we want to be able to kind of push the envelope with what the medium can do, you know. We're getting tired of um the Disney princess type movies, you know what I mean? We want to make, we want to make, or like we want to branch out, we want to do more things. Um, so it was nothing to do with the people, the goals, of the, like, like, you know what I mean? It had nothing to do with that. But what it was is just complete uh, personal mental health stuff. Just like not knowing how to handle stress, not knowing how to handle rejection. Because again, like up until that point, like I got in first try. And so I didn't know really because I didn't really care about school, like, when I was in school, like, so the SAT, the ACT, that meant nothing to me. So, like, the scores didn't make me feel any particular way, you know what I mean? Um, mm -hmm. But then, like, when it's like you're making a film, it's something you really care about and you want it to do well, you want it to succeed. So when it, like, again, success, I think, is kind of like a BS term anyway, but, like, um, when it doesn't externally succeed, you know what I mean? Like, it can really throw you through a loop. And so for me, like all of my college experience, it was mostly self-imposed things. Um, I mean, I could argue and say that like there were certain teachers that I think definitely didn't help matters. But at the same time, like I think at the end of the day, it kind of comes back to it came back to myself and then what I was kind of. I was creating a negative narrative for myself at school. You know what I mean? I was taking situations that could be seen as positive and making them negative. And I was making things like rather than I think being more of like living externally and living in reality, like living with a more like mindful mindset where like I'm aware of um, what's going on around me. I've kind of just turned a lot of negative energy inwards. And one thing mm -hmm. I hope that everyone can get out of this, if nothing else, is that like 
being negative to yourself is like 190% useless and doesn't do anything. It has no person, like it, it serves literally no purpose outside of just making you feel bad. So like, if you're ever like, oh, my art sucks, like this sucks, just know that it actually literally has no purpose. You know what I mean? Like, like telling yourself that is like, um, it doesn't push you to like a growth mindset, a learning mindset. All it does is like tear yourself down. And at the end of the day, like, you don't want to be your own bully. You know what I mean? Um, which I think I was. So yeah, I mean, I think more people, especially at CalArts, I want them to like, know that like, not every story at CalArts is a success story. You know what I mean? Like, not everyone is going to be getting into producer shows. Not everyone is going to be getting um, like Oscars, like Student Academy Awards. Not everyone's going to be getting the Disney feature internship when they're sophomore. They're going to get Pixar when they're whatever. Like, you just have to understand that like, all those things are external achievements and by themselves mean nothing towards your growth going forward. So that's that's kind of like where I'm at with kind of like, you know, I mean, talking about that kind of stuff. Yeah. But like, I mean, it's a really I could definitely go more into it because it's, it's super. Uh, yeah, yeah it, it was pretty it was pretty remarkable post Cal Arts kind of how you can switch things once you're kind of out of like a frame of mind that you could like is like negative. You know what I mean? Yeah, I I totally I totally see that. I I mean, it took me I get I got it on my third try mm-hmm. uh, to school, and uh, I mean, even that rejection I don't think adequately prepared me for being in an environment where there are so many people who are talented, and it it seems to come so much more easily to them. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not saying that they don't work hard; they definitely do, but it just seems to to just even the things that are challenging for them, they seem to do very well. And I think watching other people who you admire and who, who in a lot of cases are younger than you, um, or from in my case, like just do so well, mm-hmm. uh, you know, you're happy for them, but at the same time, it causes you to like develop a complex about yourself. Yeah. Um, I think at times, and it's definitely one of those things that is difficult to, to shake off. And I mean, even in, during this quarantine for me, like from the, day that we got out of school i don't think it hit me until i got back home i'm i'm here back in maryland right now mm-hmm. um and like i i just the the feeling the deep feeling of failure that i did not make any progress towards making uh, a completed film and i knew that once i was here i wouldn't do it mm-hmm. and i didn't even get to finish my second year and i'm probably not coming back um all of these things really contributed to to me feeling pretty useless and very critical of myself and my artistic ability and ultimately I didn't even end up making much during that two-month funk where I was I hadn't left the house I, I would leave the house once every five days or something like that to go on a walk or something but and it, it really you're right it doesn't help it doesn't help you build up uh, yourself into a better person or a better artist so that's just a, a good lesson for everybody out there. But yeah, it mm-hmm. definitely was uh, exaggerated by the fact that we had to be alone for, for so long. Yeah, I mean, I can only imagine um, with, you know, this with COVID and like, you know, all that kind of stuff, like, it's really not easy to be, I don't want to say completely functional, but like, mm-hmm. I mean, it kind of, we, we were caught in like a really just messy time with this pandemic and i think humans aren't meant to be as isolated as we are now especially as like a young artist when we're like we really just like want to be back with the people we like the people that we're closest to um like in an environment that's accepting an environment that is like promoting growth to be kind of stripped away from that and to just then kind of focus be like oh like why am i not making stuff i'm not making stuff fast enough like i need to be doing things right now like i'm not like, I need to finish my film. Like, why am I not finishing my film? Just the reality is, is this like, you're in a completely different environment. You're going from one that fosters growth to one that is completely isolated. And you know what I mean? Like, kind of like the natural course then is you're going to feel sad. It's, you know what I mean? It's just the way things go. Yeah, I think even with, um, without COVID, but just, just in general, I think like the paths that we're all taking now um, as kind of like young people trying to, make something of ourselves essentially they're not one note it's people don't just work in an upward trajectory to success um failures happen setbacks happen and i think the the big takeaway is to just kind of like really take those failures and this is going to sound like a freaking ted talk at this point but like (laughs) so take that with like a level of like openness and like what can i learn from the situation rather than um 
like focusing on the fact that you actually did fail because mm. failing and like the idea that like you're not achieving i mean those are just thoughts they have no value they have no actual meaning they're just thoughts that you have in your head you know what i mean so mm-hmm. if you subscribe to them they're going to hurt you negatively but they're not going to hurt you in a way that you're like i gotta do something it's just gonna hurt you be like wow this sucks like i suck so if you look at it and be like all right it kind of slipped up like what can i uh like how how can i fix it like what can i learn you know what i mean automatically you're thinking in terms of like all right let's you know rebound mm. and so yeah it's like i think it's like an inevitable thing it's like everyone has these moments it's just a matter of like like if you can if you can try because i mean it was again like i didn't even realize what i was doing until a year out a year out of school like all the negative mindsets and stuff but like if you can try and stay conscious uh of this while you're in school while you're building your career and stuff like that i feel like you'll be uh, at the very least a lot healthier you know what i mean because you can't you can't tell how long it's going to take to build yourself up or to achieve again in quotes you can't see this to people who are listening to the podcast but i'm air quoting <laughs> success you know what i mean like you can't predict that but at the very least it's the difference between being healthy and happy during that time and then just completely suffering um do you think that like you saw any of this like knowledge at all i mean even in little pieces or uh, anything transform i guess your mindset while you were in school do you think that there's anything before you left that you were able to adjust for or account for with this information see it's interesting because like to be honest like maybe maybe i i honestly i honestly couldn't tell you i think the problem with me was that my blinders were literally on like i had a great um film workshop teacher my third year dominic Pasigno, um who was so lax right like he was like he's like yeah like he was telling us a story about um he made a pilot for cartoon network uh, and he was saying how, like, you know, the people from overseas were coming back and they were freaking out because, like, this the the animation was coming back off model and things like that. And Dominic was like, it's a cartoon. Like, who cares? You know what I mean? Like, his attitude was mm-hmm. so different than what I was experiencing, especially my third year, which is probably, like, the worst of it. Um, but, like, I, I knew that. And he was telling me, like, you know, sometimes it's kind of just better to just accept it and move on. And I literally just, like, didn't. It was blinders, you know what I mean? Like I was like, I was like, no, you don't know what you're talking about. I know what I'm talking about. I'm the director here, you know what I mean? And it's just like, <sighs> wish I would listen, but like you know, it's just, it, I don't think it doesn't matter who would have told me. We could have had like a fucking guru come in and told me all of life's secrets, and I probably still would have been this, done the same thing, just because it has had again, like I was just you know focused, but in a I guess kind of like a negative loop more than anything else. I guess that's kind of, I guess what I can say, like my duty is to anyone who's listening to this podcast who's interested in going into art is just that like, you really have to like, look at yourself and be like, do I have my blinders on? Because Mm -hmm. the worst thing you can do is have blinders on. Like, please don't do that. (laughs) Like you are really just setting yourself up for pain. Like read, read books about mental health, read books about depression, like educate yourself about even if you don't feel it now, just so you know the signs when you do start to feel it. Because you slip into these things and you're not aware until it's too late. Yeah. You know what I mean? Until it's been weeks and you haven't done anything. The only thing I could say is that the one thing I would have done if I was back at CalArts is if I was like a first-year story teacher, a first-year character design teacher, a first-year color design teacher, is I would have been like, guys, by the way, required reading is like... Um, feeling good by david burns or something like a book about like cognitive behavioral therapy or something so i feel like you can be all these like young kids coming in who are just learning about themselves and their art and are probably already comparing themselves to the peers can like learn about like healthy ways of managing their emotions you know what i mean because we're so young i mean even like even if like you get rejected like eight times and you come in you're still under 30 probably and even if you are 30 you're still young that's young you Mm -hmm. know what i mean like you're still dealing with like learning how to handle all these kinds of things like it wouldn't hurt anyone to learn is what i'm trying to say yeah and it's so unfortunate that uh we feed ourselves these lies and that we're so uh especially at cal arts or just at most art schools that they throw Mm -hmm. a tremendous amount of uh self-responsibility at you oh yeah uh, Yeah, yeah so it so it seems and that these lessons like you were saying that even if you tell if you were to tell yourself back then you wouldn't have listened i think most people are like that and that there's a lot it's unfortunate that a lot of the times that these are just lessons that we have to learn the hard way or through failure mm-hmm. um 
But uh, that being said, I, I did want to take us on a little detour here to, like you were talking about your third year and your third year film, I, you referenced it a bit, uh, 5903 Dorset Avenue. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that that took you two years to complete? Um, about a year and four months. I finished it in, I think, October. I think it was, it was online by the Halloween of that year. Mm, gotcha. And... Uh, I mean, how did you, how do you even make yourself do something like, I remember like thinking like, all right, well, I'm not going to finish this film this year, but I have plenty of time to work on it during quarantine and over the summer. Mm -hmm. I just never did. Yeah. Um, do you, I don't know, in light of everything that we just said, do you, do you view that as a positive experience or a positive thing that you ended up with a film at the end of it? Or I guess, would you have gone back and just abandoned it and worked on something else? Oh God, that's a... (sighs) I mean, I'm thinking about that now because it's like, yeah, like, I really did put myself through hell and back just trying to fucking finish that thing. Um, Honestly, like, I'm glad I finished it. I really am. I think, like, the only thing, though, is that um, it just didn't need to be like that from the get-go. You know what I mean? I had Mm. a goddamn board. I had a goddamn animatic by, like... (laughs) October that if I would have just stuck with that it would have been the exact same as my final film actually would have been better because one thing you learn and this is one this is okay this is one unhealthy thing about CalArts love CalArts but like you see people with like oh this is animatic version 243 and it's just like you Mm. don't need three passes max and move on you're too young don't care like you know what I mean like literally like take the L like what you're gonna do in three passes is the best you're gonna do in three passes Anything after that, you're just going to rework the same stuff over and over again, and you're just going to ruin it, honestly. Because it's like, there's a certain level of truth, and uh, this is a long way of answering that question. There's a certain level of truth you hit when you hit it early, which is like, this is exactly what's on your brain right now. You're kind of thinking of, like, at that moment. You know what I mean? If you want to tell a story about something, you do three passes, it's still on your brain. You know what I mean? You're making what's on your brain at that point. The reality is, is when you keep on doing edits and things like that, you're preventing yourself from hitting that truth. And then you start second guessing, you start editing, and you're kind of just pulling yourself away from the truth that you originally had. And then you end up with, I think, like kind of like this level of like genericism that you see. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I And again, like I'm not calling out, I know people love Disney films and I'm working for the company, right? But like there's a lot of these feature films that you're seeing online now, they have like 200 versions of the same film. You know what I mean? They have iteration after iteration after iteration. You don't need that. You know what I mean? It kind of it kind of makes things more generic, which is kind of it's pretty unhealthy. So like while I'm happy that I finished my film, like for sure, like that's awesome. It's good that I did it, but not not necessarily um healthy considering what I didn't learn from it. Yeah. I think that's like a good way of putting it. Because like by the time I was making my fourth year film, I hadn't learned about cutting my losses and just moving on from a project. And so I was telling myself I was going to finish my fourth year film by deadline. It doesn't matter what. I started my film out, my fourth year film out with an extremely executable concept. It was one shot. I knew how long it took me to make backgrounds based on my third year film. One shot and the story was told in one goddamn flat centered (laughs) shot. It was like two minutes and 30 seconds long. It was super short. And it was the same concept as my final film, but I ended up just spinning it and spinning it and spinning it again and again and again. And I ended up with what I have for my fourth year film, which again, like I'm proud of it in its own context, but like maybe if I had, would have just cut my losses and kind of really been like, all right, I'm taking the L on this. Let me see what I can learn from it going forward. Maybe I would have ended up with something um, either A on time or what, what else like, uh, a little bit more consistent, I think, as to, like, what I originally went for. But, um, you know, I'm happy 5903 didn't become a, a failed project. I'm, I'm, glad, I'm glad I saw it through to the end. I think that's important. Yeah, I think, I think it would have been nice if I was a little bit more conscious of why I had ended up in that position. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's, it's so true that, like, you just got to, I mean, like, this going back to what we were saying earlier, you just got to mm-hmm. learn these lessons sometimes the hard way. And I can definitely attest to just the sort of crappy product that you end up with 
when you continue to just massage something until it loses its form altogether. Yeah. I don't think that happened with your film. I mean, I guess I don't know your original vision for them, but I think both of your films are really phenomenal that you made your third and fourth year films. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, uh, I totally can sympathize with the idea that like you start off with a very strong, like potent almost idea of it. And you just keep adding a little bit here and there until it's like just diluted mm-hmm. um, in a shell of the thing it once was. And you've just spent so much time working on it yeah. uh, that you don't know what to do. <laughs> you don't know what to do now. Yeah. And yeah. you don't know, you get twisted around so easily where you're like, I don't know if this is good or not anymore mm-hmm. or reaching its original purpose. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that's a hard thing to learn. I am, I am proud of all of them. And I think it's important. Like uh, even when, you're in school to be proud of all your mistakes and all of your like even for films like animatic uncolored with minimal sound be proud of that because it's still a stepping stone you know what i mean it's something's better than nothing at the end of the day yeah totally 100 percent um just making starting something and and seeing it through no matter how little it is can mm-hmm. really be beneficial for the learning process um which is why i'm glad they kind of i just why i'm glad they ask us to make a film a year i think it's yeah. like there's yeah, some yeah. schools where they do one film before you graduate which is crazy but yeah i couldn't yeah um, <laughs> that, that's ugh, stressful <laughs> but uh i i also wanted to talk a little bit about i mean we talked a, a little bit about portfolio day and we, mm-hmm. we that's something we keep coming back to because there's a lot of people that we've had on that have gotten a lot of good opportunities from it but i up until recently haven't really had uh any of those experiences either mm-hmm. um and you are one of the i think the only person that i know but uh one of the only people to make a layout portfolio usually people make like a visual development portfolio yeah yeah and or a or a storyboarding or a story portfolio and they choose between the two where they make two Mm -hmm. but i think you're the only person who's made a layout portfolio what what exactly is a layout portfolio uh basically just lined backgrounds um i think Mm -hmm. to be completely honest i made a layout portfolio i didn't really look at other layout portfolios i didn't really look at other story portfolios either (laughs) i think like (laughs) Um, I was kind of like, well, all of I like I'm like midway through this film, and all I have are the backgrounds. I don't have anything else, uh, so I'm just gonna make a layout portfolio because that's what I have. Hmm. And like at that point, everyone was telling me like, oh, like just go into layout, just go into layout. You're so much better at drawing backgrounds. Just go into layout. You don't don't do story, just do layout. And I was just like, I mean, it's all it's all the work I have. But like honestly, at the end of the day, like I couldn't tell you the first thing about doing a proper layout portfolio. I couldn't tell you the first thing about doing a proper story portfolio. I really couldn't. I'm sorry. I cannot. I think it's like, I, I, I keep saying this because it, it it's just so true that like, there's going to, there are going to be people who tell you how to make a story portfolio or how to make mm-hmm. a portfolio for anything. But at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter within a certain extent because the things that people like about your portfolio will be the other thing that some other company will hate about your portfolio or oh, not yeah. like about your portfolio. Yeah. So it, it seems uh, like you put yourself through a lot to just look at somebody else's portfolio and try to make yours like theirs. It loses mm-hmm. all of its uh, zest and flavor, I think. But yeah, it's interesting that you... <laughs> so it was more out of necessity because that was the work that you had at the moment than it was for... Dude, I need a fucking, I need a fucking job. I need money. Like, I, <laughs> like, at the end of the day, like, I knew I wanted to work in cartoons, but at the end of the day, like, the portfolio process to me meant virtually nothing. Um, I really mm. only cared about making films. And, like, I wanted to make films. Obviously, working in the industry, and then how do you get hired? Oh, either, like, a good film or a portfolio... And I was like, oh, I'll just make a really good films because that way I can make what I want to make and get like noticed for it. But, you know, the film thing didn't really work out. And so it's just like, well, I'm just going to take what I have from these films and just, you know, literally just take the work from the film and turn it into a portfolio. Like I didn't mm-hmm. turn, um, I didn't do any like board assignments that weren't part of my films. I didn't like, I guess my logic was just like, what's the point of doing like a story assignment when it's just like, for hiring it felt it just didn't feel right you know what i mean so i was just like i'm just gonna like i want to make this film i'm working on this film just gonna take what take what it is and stuff like that i don't know it's i've got listen i got a job from portfolio day so i can't say shit but like i really don't like that aspect of being an animation student or being an art student is kind of like the hire me thing I just think that, like, every individual artist has too much value to care what a company, a fucking corporate conglomerate, cares about its 
like the artist you know what i mean because like the individual work of each people like of each student at Kellers is so much higher than like just because it's like you're not hireable quote quote because your work is too quote niche you know what i mean like i mean who who like i get it we want jobs and stuff like that but like whether or not this mega animation company cares about what i'm making or not is just not not a driving force to making work like i don't want to make work to appeal to a corporation if that makes sense but again like you reap what you sow so like i had that mindset but because of that i watched my peers get these really big internships second year and third year and stuff like that while i was still kind of just trying to play catch up so you know there is there's a there's two sides to each coin is what i'm trying to say yeah uh, you're a man of principle, if nothing else. One of my first, uh, I guess, maybe not my first, but one of my impressions of you when I first met you, because I met you through the last class you ever took at CalArts, or one of the last classes you took at CalArts, and one of the first ones I took, which was um, acting for animators. <laughs> <laughs> oh my <laughs> which god! Which is a class that the, we're required to take uh, so before sorry. graduating. Because, because uh, I, for context for people, uh, I mean, there's a lot of acting involved in animation, obviously. You've got to be able to make your characters seem convincing and act convincingly. So it's helpful to have that in your in your repertoire, I guess. But, uh, I, but Mike, you did not believe that. I can tell you, I don't think you did at all. Oh, my God, that's um, so embarrassing. I remember, this is just a, an anecdote like that really just solidified my opinion or my, my view of you, was you came into class during like one of the last few classes, and uh, we were all sitting in that big kumbaya circle, and uh, you, <laughs> you said, he's like, hey, uh, Sue Ann, Sue Ann's our teacher, Sue Ann, uh, I just came to pop in to see how many absences I have left, and she's like, well, Mike, you if you miss you have one more absence and then after that you uh you fail the class and you said perfect i gotta go and then you just left uh which i thought was wild and mad disrespectful but i honestly you know i respected it because you gotta get your film done i guess oh my god but like okay let me just be clear let me be clear to anyone watching this do not fucking do that do not do that that was so rude i like literally like and this is this goes this goes to like the heart of the issue though is that literally like I was my blinders were just on I was just like I gotta do this film but then it's like literally like I think that by that point I'm not even sure if it was post deadline or not I think it was because the deadline's in April and I think we had classes until like May or something. Um, yeah. In retrospect, like if I was thinking in a more healthy manner, a I probably would have finished on time. I would have done something simpler, done something smaller, not. Um, made this huge grandiose project that I felt like I like really like had to do. I would have just done something simple. I would have learned from, you know what I mean? And then I would mm -hmm. be sitting in that Kumbaya circle, fucking, you know, <laughs> sipping uh, one of the CalArts sodas or something and just like hanging out with people. Like, I think like, it's good to be, it's good to have principles. It's good to be driven. It's good to be goal oriented. But at the end of the day, you're still a human interacting with other humans and that's what you're going to die as, you know? You're not going to die as, like, some, like, art god. You're just going to die as, like, a guy on a bed. You know what I mean? So I just don't think, like... Yeah, like, I think, like, honestly, it just... It kind of was just mad disrespectful. You know what I mean? I don't really... I'm not giving myself a pass <laughs> for that. That was kind of rude. But, like, CalArts is interesting because um, it kind of hypes up the individualism. You know what I mean? It hypes up, like, yeah, this guy, like fucking uh two million views on Vimeo and like now he's directing at this thing or he's show running like which is so sick but like you're kind of like oh cool like like I want to be like that you don't want to be like the showrunner I want to be his director or whatever but it's like at the like there's also a collaborative aspect to it too which I think people kind of gloss over um and I think like I do I do wish there were times where like I mean I was in A221 like I was living in that lab and I kind of think of, like, a group of my friends went to the poppy fields, I think, around that same time, the time with Suzanne, like, the end of uh, her class or whatever. Uh, oh, mm -hmm. that's the name, by the way, Suzanne spoke. Um, but they went to the poppy fields, and they saw, like, the poppies because they were in bloom and it was really pretty. And I said no. I said no. And this was, like, my close group of friends. I was like, I got to do my film, my fourth-year film. And I literally, like, just looking back at that, I'm just like, but for what, though? You know what I mean? Like... I can I can want to do all these things and I can achieve these things too but like 
you know, the level of perfectionism and the level of like, I want this to be super good for whatever's sake. It's just, it's not, it's not worth it because you kind of harm your relationships with other people. And I feel like the relationships you have with people are 10 times more important than your own art. You know what I mean? Because your own art is like, by and large, pretty self-indulgent. And that's not a bad thing, but it is, you know what I mean? And when you're interacting with other people, I think that's kind of where the value is in like your experience Mm -hmm. as a human. And it helps. If you build up these experiences, you can tell more stories. You know what I mean? Like a life that's fully lived is a lot easier to kind of pull ideas from than one where it's like just sitting in a room all day. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I could not agree more. I, I think that's one of the things I'm very grateful for, despite being very anxious about the fact that I was going to school prior to this mm-hmm. at a different place and like being anxious. I was like, as you know, as I'm trying to work to this, I'm just getting older and uh, more decrepit and by the time i get there i'll be an old man uh i and i but all that to say like i was still very grateful to come in with uh other experiences and other things to draw from Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um so super grateful for that and i think that's a that's a good thing for people to know just to take time to enjoy your life and you'll make better art i think as a a product from that yeah i just wanted to uh to kind of move us along here because there there's the important thing that we kind of glossed over or haven't talked about yet which is the fact that you are a storyboard revisionist mm-hmm. at uh at amphibia and uh, i kind of wanted to talk about uh what led up to that to, like the things immediately before that uh you've mentioned that you had uh taken a bunch of story tests mm-hmm. and uh i i for people at home uh and for people like me who i've never been offered a story test before um what does that look like and sort of is there something that you gleaned about uh, the story test that you did take that, I mean, I, I don't know. I just, I would like to know about story tests. Yeah, 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 for sure. Yeah. Um, so basically like a story test that is by a company that is not trying to overwork you will only give you like one or two pages of script. They'll give you generally like a week for it. I think that's kind of the standard, standard fare on those. It's like, Hold up. Do you mind if I... <laughs> that question was really weird. I would like to ask that again. Yeah, go for it. Go for it. Um, I would... <laughs> because that was a really weird... I sounded so desperate. Tell me about Storytel. <laughs> um, yes, Mike, I would love to hear about what goes into taking a story test and, and sort of the things that you, that you learned through doing a bunch of them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So generally, one or two pages of script uh, and a week to do it. What you do in that week, whether it's the full two pages or three-fourths of a page, it's, it's, it varies. You know what I mean? It varies. Like, if you get, like, an action-heavy script, maybe you'll just do three-fourths of a page. If it's just two characters in a room talking, maybe the full two pages. Um, every show wants something different. Every show is looking for something that is unique to the show. Um, I did one for Bob's Burgers, which was literally, like, like, it, they wanted keys. They wanted animation keys. They didn't want boards. They wanted animation keys. Like, they wanted mm. tight, on-drawing things. They wanted as little shots as possible. They wanted as simple, clear shots as possible. I don't even think we really were picking shots for that test. I think it's they would actually give you the layouts. Um, and you'd just be basically drawing the keys of animation in the layouts they gave. Which I definitely, I struggle with that one a lot just because it's, um, that the acting is so specific for that show. Then there was the one for Amphibia, which is a lot more uh, just like, oh, just board it. Like, just here's the character designs, the little bit of viz dev, so you understand like what the backgrounds like kind of look like. And kind of like you're designing the area, which I think like uh, the script takes place and stuff like that. So you're given like a little bit more freedom with that. But I mean, it was more time consuming because you just had to think about that. Like I didn't finish the full two pages for that, but I finished the full two pages for the Bob's Burgers test. And then I remember uh, the, I got, I did a big CD grades one, which by that point I was kind of tired of taking tests. And so I just made like, I don't even know. It was that, that script was pretty different than the other ones because it was essentially a build your own uh, board assignment. It was like, like two characters steal something or it was, it was something like that. I think I can't even remember but there was probably more to it, but I'm just simplifying it. I, again, I was kind of like, all right, whatever. So I just, I made it gay. I, I forget how, but I made some, I made something about it like, like a lesbian romance. They didn't like that. 
<laughs> they're like this doesn't fit the tone of the show and i was like yeah <laughs> like it, it doesn't like i'm sorry uh but like that was the one with like the most freedom like for sure you know what i mean mm. i just comes down it really just comes down to like less about if you did a good job because again what's a good job mean but like more about like if like, the person who's looking at that test is like oh i can see how we could use them it's really it's really that random like honestly like storyboard tests are they're really hard to pinpoint because it's just like like yeah those basic things don't break the 180 rule uh make sure your drawings are clear make sure your expressions are clear like those you know obvious things right like there's things you would learn you know first year of school but like as far as like if that's going to make you get hired or not it's completely up to who's ever looking at it i think that's why the only thing i could really say is just try and get a decent amount of them if you can uh and mm. always there's the only default to any of this is just like if you know how to if you have like some sort of technical skill in terms of just like yeah i can draw a circle that looks like a circle like that's pretty strong because it's just like if they can see you can draw then they're just going to send you a random test even if it's not like um even if like it may not be like the style you work in just because of like they know that you're capable of drawing you know what i mean so because it's like at the end of the day it's like it, it's just a toss-up to see if they're going to actually hire you or not uh, now, are these sort of parameters that they gave you for each of the story tests, are they things that were specifically on the story test or were they things that were told to you explicitly? Like, we want this to be all model, we want this to be keys, or was that more something you just had to learn? It was definitely in the document. So that they'll send you mm -hmm. they'll send you a document. And it was basically just like the overviews, like the summaries, the page ones of these things. They'll tell you, along with the NDA, they'll tell you um, what we're looking for. You know, I mean, the, the show's... All the shows that I took tests for um, were really good about telling you exactly what they kind of were more or less going for and like the references and things like that. It's just a matter of like if you could kind of fit that, you know what I mean? And so that's it. They, they were all pretty good about that, though. They let you know. So after you take a bunch of these story tests, presumably some of them were paid. I don't think they were. Not even one of them? I mean, I don't remember getting a check for them. I'll put it like that. I mean, maybe I could be maybe I could be wrong, but I actually don't remember getting paid for the story test I took. Yeah, it's kind of like a weird, we're in a weird gray area right now where some companies are starting to do paid story tests, mm -hmm. um, and some are still kind of falling behind. But I'm sure it'll be much more common in the years to come. Yeah, I think that was I took the test right before that conversation happened because I remember people messaging me about like, oh, should my story test be paid or something like that? Because like I remember the Animation Guild kind of having that conversation like while I was hired. So I think I kind of missed the the boat for that. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad I'm glad people are getting paid for them now. Fast forward, you take a test for Amphibia. They say, psych, uh, we don't want you. And then mm -hmm. they say, psych, we actually do want you. Mm -hmm. um, as a revisionist, uh, I would love to hear a little bit about what a revisionist does for this specific position. Mm -hmm. um, I know it's like different for sort of whatever production that you're on. Uh, I mean, I'm, I've done a little bit of revision work and it's been very different than what I've expected it to be. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I would love to hear what exactly it's like uh, being on Amphibia and uh, what that means as a storyboard revisionist. Yeah. I'm always going to say this. Every show is different. What they ask for the board artists or revisionists because it depends. Board-driven board, board -driven shows, script-driven shows, whatever. We're a script-driven show. Um, so things are kind of laid out a little bit more beforehand. The short answer for my own work is basically just cleaning up like hands and elbows and things need to be cleaned up so I redraw them. Um, it's not necessarily exciting work, but it's work that needs to be done to make the production go smoother down the line. There's a, there's certain like a, there's certain times it would be like this section of shots isn't really working, and so you would kind of like maybe reboard like a really small section of it. But it was never anything too involved. It was mostly like grunt work. It was like oh these peoples aren't accurate. Uh, it's too messy. Uh, this needs a background. This, uh, you know, opaque this. It's not very, like, there's not, like, too much to go into. And this could be different for uh, other um, uh, other shows as well. But that's, like, just for, just for like, my own experience, it's, it's been more like that. Hmm. Yeah, I, I remember reading some Twitter thread um, from a few months ago. Maybe it was almost, it was a pretty long time ago, it feels like. Yeah. Um, uh, from somebody, some revisionist at Amphibia, who was talking about uh, all like the sort of nuances of what they had to do for the specific role. Mm -hmm. uh, 
Now, do are all sort of revisionists on on your specific production tasked with the same thing, or is it more like some somebody is minding more of like the camera moves and the action notes, and renaming panels and stuff like that? Yeah, I mean, like I was doing. Like that's stuff like I didn't mention, but it's the same sort of thing where it's like adjusting camera movements is the job of revisionist. Mm. Um, they're stepped out a specific way for pitching, but once you're done the final pitch, uh, you kind of go back into putting them into a more animatic way of doing it. So you basically just like get the beginning and ending of each camera movement and just kind of smooth it out rather than having it be stepped out. Uh, it, it's the same. It's it's pretty much the same thing. I think yeah, because I think I remember seeing that too. That one's like really in depth. Of like all of like the mm-hmm. minute like things, I think it's all like kind of under the same umbrella. You know what I mean? It's just kind of like yeah. the notes after the the main pitch. So it's just, it's more of like kind of just cleaning up what's already there, and what's already there is normally pretty figured out. So, uh, was there any sort of learning curve that you had to sort of undergo uh, prior to, or I mean, as you went along? Yeah, for sure. Because from what I understand, like people always say that revisionist work is is a good place if you want to do storyboard art to get your feet wet and mm-hmm. to and to be in for a while so that you can learn the ropes but even then i mean i imagine that there's some learning still that you have to do yeah in the beginning yeah yeah i mean i think i don't think i could have handled a board job straight out of school i really don't because i think this goes back to like when i graduated the fourth year and like what i had done up to that point like it still was like my mindset was still super perfectionism heavy and it still is honestly but like i just physically i don't i couldn't handle probably the workload of a board artist uh, coming out of school, like, at all. And so, like, a big learning curve all of pretty much last year was just trying to draw faster. You know what I mean? Trying to, like, I'm cleaning up elbows and hands here, but, like, when you have 60 notes an episode of cleaning up elbows and hands for a 12-minute episode, you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. that adds. That adds up. And so, basically, like, what it comes down to now is just, and this is this is a work in progress. Like, I'm definitely I'm definitely still learning it. Um, but it's basically drawing faster, caring less about the drawing because no one cares really. Uh, the animators that get it overseas have the model sheets, like still trying to make it all model and stuff like that. But it doesn't like the idea of a good drawing is kind of dumb. Like, don't worry, don't really worry about that as much. But uh, it's basically less lines, so it's easier for the animators to understand what they're looking at. Like, if you have like a really sketchy line, like the way I was drawing, um, that's not good for animation overseas because they have to pick the line that you are trying to indicate you know what i mean where if it's mm-hmm. if it's just one line they know the general idea like oh okay i know i know it's a curve here you know what i mean so basically it's kind of just trying to change the way i'm drawing a bit but it's a really healthy it's a healthy change and like a really needed change because honestly like it's a lot easier to do things fast and in one line than really laboring over every line to have like a really sketchy way of drawing that takes forever because it's just going to make it harder on you like down the line anyway so yeah i mean it's 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 a work in progress i mean i'm still not comfortable fully drawing the characters on the show i'll be honest like i love the designs but like i do struggle with drawing them on model sometimes and it is it's like a learning it's a learning curve like i know i was talking to one of the directors uh jen strickland who i mean i admire her a lot she's really 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 good uh but she was saying that like yeah like it took her a bit to figure it out too. And this is coming from a director. Mm-hmm. So everyone kind of hits, it takes, it takes a little bit for people fully feel comfortable, like fully like feel comfortable being able to draw in a style of a show. It's going to be when you're brought onto a show, you might think like, oh yeah, it's like, I draw kind of similar to this. It should be easy. It's you're still going to be a learning curve because the, the model sheets for the characters are very specific because they have to be specific. Um, and you're going to slip up a bunch, basically kind of, you're going to be like, oh, like, well, I normally just draw like this. You're not going to really think about it, but that's something that like when the show has a particular style, it needs to kind of remain with it, like that kind of style. So yeah, I mean, there's definitely been, there's definitely been learning curves and it's all still work in progress stuff too. It's not like stuff that like I magically figured out and now I'm like totally comfortable and fine with it. It's, I'm still learning. I think that you mentioned something really like it's something that I feel like a lot of storyboard artists struggle with, including, I mean, especially people starting out, mm-hmm. uh, the idea of needing to let go of, like, the perfect drawing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, be- because it's so hard. I mean, like, you're, the goal is to just get it get it out onto the paper and make it clear, not to make it pretty. And even if you know that, I feel like the part of, of my brain and probably yours, too, is to mm-hmm. try and make it look as nice as possible. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and that that slow you down and, and make you you shake that off, I imagine, 
quicker than if you had, weren't working on a production. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so that's really, I think, a really interesting thing that I, I think people <laughs> should probably know prior to doing story work. Yeah, it's honestly, I, I've been doing some research into like perfectionism because I think it's just an interesting topic as someone who's dealing with it. But it's actually in its own really fucked up kind of way. It's um, It's like a comfort thing. You want a perfect drawing because it's comfortable. Like, if you look at a drawing that's good, you're like, oh, it's good. You know what I mean? Like, it hurts to look at, especially, oh, my God, because it's like nothing hurt more for me back at school when I was looking at my film up on screen and I was seeing a drawing that I hated or I was seeing, like, something <laughs> that like, I was like, oh, my, oh, why did that shot so bad? Oh, like, it hurt. You know what I mean? It hurt. Um, it's a lot easier to be like, oh, yeah, I like this than to actually cringe looking at your work. The, the thing with overcoming perfectionism is you do have to be uncomfortable for a bit and you have to get used to the idea of like not necessarily liking what you're kind of putting out, but like understanding it's for the greater good. It's for your own mental health and it's for the health of the project that you're working on. And then I think in doing that enough, you're able to kind of really accept the fact that not every drawing is going to be a good drawing. Not every drawing needs to be a good drawing. And it's not healthy to have every drawing be a good drawing because you're asking the impossible of yourself. And so I think the best board artists that I know on Amphibia and just that I know are working are people who understand the reality of it's just a drawing. It's just a way to get to point A to point B. If it's a good drawing, good. If it's a bad drawing, good. Yeah. Point is you got it done on time, you know what I mean? And yeah, I think that's like, it's definitely something that I did struggle with the first year I was working on the show. I think learning learning that I think has been pretty it's pretty nice to have that kind of uh insight i think now because i think it's like it's a pretty important insight to have if you want to actually make like a positive change yeah yeah uh mike you have been super duper generous with your time with us mm -hmm. tonight uh we're gonna wrap up here in a minute and let you go on about your evening uh, but i we do want to ask uh we usually ask people at the end of the episodes i don't know if you've actually listen to any of the other ones but we usually ask people if there's anything that they want to plug as far as things that they have been watching or listening to or reading or playing if it's a video game things that they think that other people should uh consume and enjoy as well mm -hmm. is there anything like that, that you might have well uh i recently watched chunking express which I cannot recommend enough. It's a really amazing film. <laughs> I feel like most people at CalArts have probably seen it. It feels like kind of like a, a an animation film school kind of thing, but that's super good. And I'm trying to think. I mean, honestly, to be just flat out honest, I mean, I've just been reading a lot of uh, writing books about like habits and like self-help and like that kind of stuff. It's nothing really too exciting, but... Uh, yeah, I mean, I always go back to, like, if you want to just start to figure out how your brain works, I think Feeling Good by David Burns is a really good book. It's an introduction mm -hmm. into cognitive behavioral therapy. It's a really comprehensive guide. And, I mean, besides besides that, honestly, like, not too much else. Uh, I, know, I know I'm going to think of something after, <laughs> but uh, for, right, for right now. Uh, if you happen to think of anything, let us know and we'll put it in the show notes because uh, I think that we've gotten a lot of stellar recommendations. A lot of Animal Crossing, I'll be honest, I'm tired of hearing about Animal Crossing. People are <laughs> done with the hype, I think. Yeah, that, but, yeah. Uh, when we first started, it was a lot of Animal Crossing, so I'm thankful that it's not so much that. Yeah, yeah, um, for sure. But uh, thank you for your recommendations, Mike, and thank you even more for, for being with us and for giving us so much wisdom. Uh, it is very much appreciated. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Yeah, I hope uh, anyone who's listening, as well as you guys, got something out of it. Yeah, definitely did. Um, guys, stay tuned next week or next episode. I don't really know how we're releasing these yet because as I'm speaking, we haven't released any episodes. We just keep recording them. <laughs> um, so stay tuned for uh, our next guest. It's going to be a good one. Uh, <laughs> I can't wait to figure out who that guest is going to be. <laughs> Thanks again, Mike, for joining us. Uh, where can people find you on the internet? Um, I am on all platforms. I'm Mike Sobe, but it's M-I-I-K-E-S-O-B-I. -I -E so just my name with two I's. Um, and I'm on Instagram, Twitter, Twitter, Instagram. That's pretty much it. <laughs> YouTube, I guess. Yeah, and please check out Mike's films on Vimeo. They're amazing. 
uh, just under his name. I watched them today in preparation for this. Um, so yeah, do yourself a favor. Uh, see you guys next week. Uh, until I find a better exit signature phrase, I just say goodbye and that I love you. Goodbye, I love you. Aww. Bye. So sweet. Bye.